Welcome to BCG and Wits Business School's Conversations with South African Business Leaders podcast, where we talk to key business and thought leaders making waves in South Africa and across the African continent. Welcome to Backstage Pass. Hello, I'm Nozi Poshabalala, and in today's leadership conversation, we are focusing on digital innovation. Now, I'm sitting around the table with some of the most prominent leaders in the space. I'm going to do very quick intros because we want to get straight into the conversation. I'm sitting with Nimal Murray. He's a managing director and partner at BCG, and he's coming into this conversation with extensive end-to-end digital transformation experience. He's led a number of new ventures with a strong focus on financial services, on energy, as well as the telecoms industry. Nimal, welcome to you. Thanks so much. Chika Ikeji uh, is here with us. He is the Group Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer at MTN. And uh, prior to this role, he led uh, the group's continental national roaming strategy before joining the MTN group. Chika also led the West Africa digital practice for McKinsey and Company. So Chika, indeed, really looking forward to some of your big African insights as well. Good to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Vuyo, welcome to you. Vuyo Mpako is a managing director at Next 176. He is often described as highly entrepreneurial, a strategic player leading innovation, partnerships, investments, and venture building across the continent for the old mutual group. Vuyo, lovely to have you here. Thanks, Lizzie. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dare Okuju. Uh, thank you for being here. Dare is the founder and CEO of MFS Africa. He's going to tell us a little bit more about them, but we do know that they are a leading pan-African fintech company and they are operating the largest digital payments hub on the continent. Dare, welcome to you. Thank you. Good to be here. And we're rounding it up with uh, Gawa Lentil, who is the CEO and founder of Moya App and Data Free. Uh, he can be best described as a digital entrepreneur with uh, 35 years if I'm counting correctly, Gawa, of uh, skin in the game with a passion for mobile internet technology and the empowerment that it can lead to. And he brings a very unique lens to the conversation with his lived experiences in multiple countries. Gawa, thank you for being here. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. So in this conversation, we really want to get to the heart of the essence of how corporates and startups can work together to really unpack the impact that digital innovation can have on the continent. And so, Nimal, maybe I want to come to you with a very first question. Why are we having this conversation now? Why is it important for us to really pause to think about uh, how we get collaborations between startups and corporates right? And what is BCG seeing as some of the industries that are well-primed to take advantage of this? Well, there are two parts to that question. I think the first part is why is the timing now? Yeah. And the timing now across the continent is very real. uh, And it's primarily driven because of some of the changes that we are seeing across the continent. First and foremost, from an infrastructure telecommunications perspective, the availability of connectivity is really driving change across the continent. Uh, even cloud adoption across many different countries uh, is also driving change. Uh, so that's from a technology and infrastructure perspective. From a consumer perspective, adoption of smartphones, uh, adoption of social media is a driving 
consumer behavioral change at a rate that we've never seen before. So these are really disruptive trends that are emerging across the continent that create this catalyst for growth. And we as BCG believe that there's a strong opportunity for startups and corporates to work together to leverage off each other's unique strengths and create real unique opportunities for growth. So that's, a, that's I think, at a very high level why I think the opportunity is right now for this discussion. Yeah. yeah. So if we, took, if we took a quick scan of which industries are best positioned to take advantage of this catalytic growth that you described? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And, and globally, we certainly see certain sectors diving straight into it and have got more experience in, in, in collaboration between startups and, and corporates. And those sectors are primarily the financial services sector, telco, retail, so very much consumer orientated industries. However, what I will say is that right now we're seeing a lot of activity from B2B type organizations or industrial goods organizations who are looking at the collaborative opportunities with startups to both optimize their core operations, but also to create new disruptive growth models around adjacent areas from an industry perspective. So maybe let's just build on that, Daria. I want to come to you. Optimizing uh, their models, looking at new growth opportunities. I mean, Nimal, that all sounds absolutely fantastic, but one would assume, Daria, that one of the key things you've got to get right is an alignment of the joint objectives, the roles, the priority areas. From your experience, how easy or difficult has that proven to be? More difficult than easy, yeah. I would say. And I think you have to take it from the two sides you, you know, in the partnership. So if you look at it from a startup point of view, it's almost always about distribution. And, and I think, you know, and occasionally about capital, but a lot around distribution and anything else is kind of a complicated sales. And we have to understand that we're not talking about just a B2B sales here. We are talking about real partnership. Yeah. So it tends to be about distribution for the, for the corporate though. Usually it has to do a bit with the fact that early ideas tend to be fragile and corporates cannot handle fragile things. It, it will break. And, and that tends to come from high conviction from a good decision maker, a sponsor. And when that is missing, when you don't have that level of high conviction that this idea is too fragile to rely simply on the organization, it also tend not to work. So there is a bit of a chemistry that needs to happen in there to make these two things to match the distribution that the startup is looking for, the fragile idea that someone highly believes in and want to go against stream to actually make it happen. Mm. And when it does happen, it is beautiful. The whole business of MFS Africa has been built on those type of partnerships. But many years down the line, we're finding ourselves on the shoes of the incumbent. I won't call it corporate yet, but on the other <laughs> side of this way, we are supporting all the startups and we are realizing how much more difficult it is actually and how much more the high conviction is important to make it work. You've used some beautiful language. Uh, you've spoken about chemistry. You've spoken about beauty. So we, we want to bring you into this conversation. How do we make sure that as the corporate handles this fragile idea in Diary's words, the corporate doesn't get in its own way? <laughs> That's a really great uh, question, Nozi. I think there's a couple of things. I think uh, one, we've got to acknowledge that corporates were never built for things that are early. They're built for things that are big and massive and things that are ready to scale. Yeah. So it is really, really important then to really start thinking as a, from a startup perspective, 
what does that corporate look like? You know, which is this corporate that is actually ready to be able to nurture this fragile startup that Daya speaks about? So a couple of things to think about. One is really think about the sponsorship organizationally. Are you getting it at the right level? You've got to ask the questions. This is like dating. Yeah. You know, you ask those questions as you kind of think about dating someone. You know, you ask a couple of critical questions. What is this organization looking like? Is this thing appropriately sponsored at the right level in the organization? Is this a decision maker? You've got to think about the entire setup. You know, is it set up appropriately? Is it funded appropriately? Is it funded outside through the existing corporate structures or outside of that? You've got to think about how it's governed. Mm. You know, so those are some of the questions that from a startup perspective, you've got to ask before you kind of jump in to mm. those relationships, else they break. So let me be a bit difficult because we also know dating is not always easy, right? So <laughs> when there's, you know, corporate and startup, oftentimes there is an asymmetry in terms of size. And oftentimes that asymmetry can translate into power and in other spaces. And you're posing some beautiful questions that you're saying the startup needs to be prepared to be asking. In reality, is the space for those conversations, does it really exist? And do startups really use that power to really make an informed decision? Or is it about a big brother sponsorship relationship and then you find yourself in a relationship that maybe you shouldn't be in? Absolutely. I think more often than not, because those questions are not asked right up front, yeah. you find these relationships that you could argue they were doomed to fail from the start. But because you kind of think from a startup perspective, imagine you're seeing this big corporate, it looks like it brings all of these things, distribution, capital, brand, et cetera, et cetera. You jump straight into it without asking those critical questions. And what happens with any other relationship? Those expectations that are not spoken about, mm. those are the causes of the failures. Sitting right there. And uh, Daria, I want to see you want to make a quick comment. So let's bring you in because I want to talk about mindset with Gower in a second, but let's bring your comment in. Yeah, I think also what is failure really? I think, you know, from a startup point of view, again, I don't know any startup that set out to just do partnership with this particular company. Yeah. There is a bigger problem in the world that you're trying to solve. This is one path to solve it. And I think, you know, from, from that perspective, you, uh, you know, again, sometimes you waste time as a startup and, you know, some corporates are known for wasting your time and taking you from meetings to meetings. You miss opportunity sometimes, you, you, you lose some resources. But I think if you keep your eyes on the North Star, what is that big problem in the world that you're trying to solve? You can always take some lessons from every discussion with. So I think the danger is to get married to the idea that I need to do a deal with All Mutual or I need to do yeah. a deal with Standard Bank or MTN. That's probably going to set you off for, for failure. If you remain on the North Star, the reason why you actually started the company in the first place, you can always take something from any conversation. You have to remain alert. And like any sales, you have to be able to judge whether the partner, the person in front of you can do what he or she is committing to. But outside of that, I think you can always take something as, as a startup mm. from any of these engagements. I think it's a beautiful contribution. I'm going to test it uh, with Chicken in, in a moment, but let's go to mindset first because as Vuya was speaking, I was um, reminded of the mistake I think we often make when we're talking about uh, startups and corporates. We, we tend to ask the question of readiness about the startups to engage in the journey. And what I'm almost hearing in the conversation is that there's an, also an introspection from a corporate perspective as to the extent to which you are ready 
for the disruption that you might be inviting. What are your, your thoughts on that, Gao? And is, are we getting better at asking the right question? Interesting question. Um, startups can be about solving a problem, but often startups are about seeing a new opportunity to right. disrupt an existing industry practice or business sector or business model. So it's not necessarily a problem. It's a new way to do something that brings innovation. It scales better. It reduces cost. It provides a cheaper service for a consumer, whatever it may be. And in that context, a really important question is in terms of looking for corporate partnership, is that model or that opportunity disrupting corporate partners existing business and therefore is that corporate ready to be disrupted themselves yeah oftentimes one of the hardest things for a large corporate is to disrupt themselves they every as as we heard earlier they're all about existing business models and scale and distribution and the corporate may or preferably at a senior level realize there is opportunity for disrupting their own business or the industry sector in which they operate Oftentimes, they're the worst to do it because it's very difficult to throw out one business and try and build another. So they look for partnerships with startups or innovation companies to, you know, go and do that disruption. And, and so they can be part of it without trying to upturn their existing business and practices and so on. But the key question there is, is the corporate ready for that? Mm. I mean, there are, I've certainly come across numerous examples of startups partnering with corporates whose main strategy is to constrain the startup from fully achieving their ideas to block them, hold them back, or try and bring them closer to the existing corporate business model and not allow that disruption to happen. Now, that can be a very negative, completely not constructive corporate partnership. So mm. the motivation of a corporate to partner with a startup is a really fundamentally important question for the startup to ask themselves. Why are they wanting to partner with me? Is it going to be good or could it actually be the opposite? I think understanding that intent from a corporate perspective is particularly important. Yeah. And when we look at, you know, successful partnerships between corporates and startups, typically there's very clear alignment on that North Star problem to be solved, industry to be, to be looked at. Yeah. And typically there are three reasons why a corporate would want to enter into any type of partnership. The first is to defend its market position, right? It's got a very great, strong market position. There are disruptors at the gate. By partnering with a, with a startup, there's an element in terms of disrupt, uh, defending its current position. The other is to optimize. And this is particularly the case in B2B type organizations where they can use a startup's technology or a product to really optimize their existing value chain. So understanding the intent from the outset, mm -hmm. is it to defend its position? Is it to optimize the current dynamics within its operating value chain? Or thirdly, is it to transform new verticals and industries, which is the point that, that Dare was making? The other point, and I think it links back to your first question, which is quite important, is why is the timing now? And the, the point that I didn't touch on was the fact that we've seen unprecedented amount of venture capital flows into Africa uh, over the last year and even continuing into this year. And why is that important? It means startups have never had more access to capital than, than before across the continent. Um, so that means their ability to move from a fledgling startup to scale up quickly, to mature their operations, has never been as accessible as it is right now. So that means from a corporate perspective, 
the corporates need to think long and hard as to why engage with the startup right now? What competitive advantage will the startup bring to me? And how can I use it to, to transform my position in the market today? So I think those are really incredible insights. And I want to almost, Chika, put you in a very difficult position because you're the guy with transformation in his title uh, sitting around <laughs> the table here. So we're going to test a lot of what we've heard. Gao has spoken about a tendency uh, to constrain startups. And, you know, I use the language getting in your own way. So maybe let's start off with testing Nimal's uh, three principles of intent. Defending market share, optimizing, and only then do we see the third one coming in as transformation. How does that play out in your world as you're looking out for potential next partnerships with startups? Are you looking for transformation? Are you looking for optimization? Or are you looking, or is it about more defending market share in the day-to-day decision-making? Where do you think the bulk of the decisions lie when it comes to considering that partnership with startups? So I think from my experience, it's not necessarily a sequence Mm. and it isn't necessarily mutually exclusive. It depends entirely on the strategy of the corporate. And at any particular point in time, your own candid assessment of what the world around you is shaping up to be. And so if you examine or if you assess the major trends that influence some of the decisions that Mm -hmm. corporates have to make, the better the forward-thinking corporates will tend to say, listen, we have to have a strategy that does a number of things. If we have a significant market position or opportunity in a traditional business, it makes sense to double down on that in some way. So there are some partners that are relevant in that sense. However, if you are facing disruption and it's inevitable, getting ahead of that is actually a, a, a way for you to defend your shareholder value on the long term. And so thinking about what is it that I need to do and who do I need to partner with, startup or established firm, um, but who has the innovative edge that allows me position for that future a little bit better. I think that's actually mm. one of the things that the corporates who are at the edge, right, of the forward-thinking sort of logic will be doing as well. And so, in, and, and of course, to do your traditional business the right way, there are a lot of things you need to optimize. And so optimization comes in different forms. And then there are those things that you may never be able to do as well, right? Yeah. Simply because you have a focus and you, nobody's good at everything. And in that particular regard, there are some partnerships that also make sense. So I wouldn't treat, I wouldn't treat the dimensions Nima mentioned as mutually exclusive. I think yeah. it comes down to corporate strategy, um, an assessment of what the really big trends moving your industry are and what you want to be mm. in five or 10 years. The, the, the big difference, I think in the age we live in is that the clock speed is a lot faster. So if you don't have a plan for five years out, maybe even three years out, you know, certainly by the time you get there, you are, odds are going to be on the back foot of something. Yeah. And, you know, given the war chest that's available with some startups and of course, just the intensity and many of the people who are in the startups also came out of industry. And so they have some sense of the knowledge. I think we live in an environment where it's just things just happen faster. Yeah. So you do have to maintain a few irons in the fire and make sure that you are on top of those at all times. I, I also maybe want to just put another thing in front of you, Chika. Nimal speaks about an unprecedented moment in history where we are seeing venture capital fund inflows uh, for startups. Is that influencing? The way you're thinking about partnering with startups in any way right now, are those flows having a bearing on your strategy around innovation and partnership, partnering with digital innovators? So I wouldn't say that the funding itself is the driver. 
but it's more what the funding may mean. Mm. Money typically follows the best investment opportunity or the best returns available. And in the startup universe, that's typically someone who has the best team, the best idea, uh, the best innovation, or at least something that's reasonably good. And so if there's a compelling opportunity, the smart money will generally go after that. In which case, the measure of a corporate's interest is less so did that person get funding it's more so is that funding going to go and build something interesting and compelling in the industry and if that's relevant to my business mm -hmm. then maybe we should have a conversation but it isn't simply and solely the fact that there's money there in fact there are times when if there's a lot of loose cash in the system and it's looking for a destination, a yep. lot of good money will follow bad money. Mm. And you do not invest simply because something is actually being invested in by somebody else. I think on the corporate side, it's important to be a bit more discerning around what the underlying driver of the investment is. So that's the way I think. Sure, excellent. So we are want to come to you. I, I, I want to assume that um, the first and second dates have gone well. We are now <laughs> in a relationship um, and I'm interested in going into one of the softer issues, but that actually turns out to be very important, and that is alignment in culture mm. um, and the extent to which where there is misalignment that can derail that partnership. What are the configurations that we can think about to create cultural space mm. for the startup to be able to coexist alongside the corporate, even though they might be playing slightly outside of the, the rules of the bigger organization? Yeah, another very, very good question, Nozi. I think one of the things that we, we need to be very, very careful about is that sometimes these cultures do clash. Yeah. You know, so whilst there's logic in kind of seeing the great that either party will kind of benefit from the other, you know, whether it's a product or whether it's a distribution on the other side, you've got to also think about the readiness and to the extent that these cultures clash. So it's a little bit of a challenging situation where you kind of, there's stuff to benefit from from a corporate perspective, from the startup, and vice versa, I'd argue from the startup perspective, from the corporate. But sometimes these corporates, as we rightfully said, are not fully ready to be able to embrace this. So the extent to which we, we, we're kind of talking now, organization, the extent to which you create some separation and you also create bridges. Yeah. Because those assets you're going to need at a point in time, but you also need to be able to kind of create that separation, you know, organizationally, culturally, so that, you know, the real benefit of the partnership can, can start. But at a point in time when you need the core benefits of a big corporate distribution, capital, whatever that is, mm. you know, you're able to actually leverage it. More often than not, you find those assets in big corporates actually not malleable enough. Mm. So, so to the extent that I think there's been speak about the right sponsorship at the right level in the organization that is able to actually make some of those assets that look really, really learning from outside malleable to be able to use by these startups is really, really important. Sure. So to be able to separate, but also to have the bridges, I saw Gao reacting mm -hmm. uh, physically as you were speaking. So I'm keen to hear um, some of his thoughts and your immediate reaction to some of what Vuyo has shared. I just wanted to say as a ex-corporate guy for some years prior to getting into being a tech startup guy, and I've been a tech startup guy for 25 years in various ventures, uh, just say from my point of view, instinctively, I want to avoid trying to get involved in big corporate culture. I'm a startup. If we're partnered, if you're invested, leave me alone in our own space <laughs> to do our thing. Obviously, we've got to communicate, but it's the last thing, uh, last choice that comes to mind. Of course, it, 
every situation can be unique and different. But invariably, big corporate culture does not work with startup culture. Mm. Not not easily. Dario, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think it's actually nuanced. And I would argue there is a good culture for partnership. And there are bad cultures for partnership. And I will argue that those things tend to be permanent. I mean, we all know you don't just change your culture as a, especially corporate. And there are some corporates who encourage partnership, which means that it's not seen as something threatening in one way or the other. It's like, you know, I used to have a boss long time ago at MTL. Every time you go to him and you say you're going to hire a consultant, he tell me, he said, ask me, okay, tell me what is the real problem. Yeah. Because you, po- you know what is the real problem. Now you need some consultant to help you, maybe package it and so on and so forth. Every time I think that a corporate has to go out for partnership, some people are going to feel threatened inside. Mm. It is someone's job that was supposed to happen. That did not happen or could not happen. And we can give any reason. How does the corporate react to those people? Do we point fingers at them? Or are they celebrated to admit it that they cannot do this and then they can go out? I think that culture mm-hmm. is very important. Some companies will fight because that's the culture. The culture is finger pointing, blaming and so on. And it doesn't matter how good your idea is as a startup, stay away from that corporate yeah. because you're going nowhere. But there are other corporate who will embrace it, where people will actually recognize that actually we got a gap here and this is the best way to address it. And people will not be hanging on to a specific idea, a specific way of doing it. And that, I think, in the long run, in time we are living, as Chika is saying, will become a competitive advantage. Corporations that are able to actually embrace partnership and transform their culture to embrace partnership will have an edge over one that needs to mm. do everything inside. And I think that's important. And I don't think it's a, occasional. I think it's it's yeah. actually a very hard thing to do. Nimal, you're nodding. Um, I can see you from the corner of my <laughs> eye. Talk me through some of those nods. No, I, I think it's a fascinating point. And I think corporates have walked a path of learning how to partner. Um, and given the timing, they're adapting and changing. And actually, that's one of the key successful ingredients is to continuously tweak your your approach to partnership. Uh, it is not a static requirement. And it is about meeting halfway from a culture and ways of work perspective. But what we always advise our corporate clients to do is really adopt more of a investor mindset when they're thinking about partnerships. So what do I mean by that? It, uh, what I mean is create the right overarching governance models mm. that allow very clear KPIs, very clear definitions of success upfront based on that intent that we just talked about. Secondly, allow a level of autonomy and agility that is needed because we are working in a space where the problem statement is sometimes quite malleable. It, it changes, it fluctuates yeah. based on geographies, based on customer changes, based on technology changes. So you do need a level of agility that's injected and infused into the partnership. The third aspect is don't get hung up on searching for success continuously. What do I mean by this? I mean that often corporates hang on to partnerships for the sake of it, even though it's not working. Mm. So adopting a mindset of it's fine to fail as long as we learn and as long as we adapt as long as there is a broader portfolio of partnerships that exist within a corporate setting, allows the corporate not to be hung up onto one particular partnership. Yeah. But that mindset of 
it's okay to fail, but we learn, we adapt through that process, helps us navigate through this fluid and, and, and ever-changing context that, that we're living in in the continent right now. I'm about to come to everyone with the final question, but Chika, maybe just a quick one to you before I do that. An investor mindset, a willingness to create autonomy and agility, um, but also not getting hung up on successes and, and through that actually then learning through the failures. Sounds absolutely great. How does it play out in practice? I think humans run businesses. Mm-hmm. And if you have an investor mindset, you have to be clear on what your return profile is. If you have investors in your own entity and they have demands of you, I think, one, you've got to find a way to articulate what you're trying to do in a way that makes sense to your downstream investor class. Secondly, it's typically advisable, depending on your own assessment of the internal culture in an organization, to perhaps actually have a standalone entity separate from your core because your culture may envelope that. So that's a very you know common piece of guidance that enterprises typically get. But you have to understand the purpose of the partnership. If you're trying to partner with a startup and it's an acqui-hire, or you're trying to actually bring in capability into your organization, then a lot deeper integration is necessary mm. from that. If you're doing something, say, in data services and there has to be integration or technology level, then there needs to be counterparties on both sides who are actually going to collaborate quite deeply. If you're trying to enter an adjacency at a bit of an arm's length, then perhaps you can do something that's going to touch a little bit, perhaps on your core, maybe leverage your brand, but you can let them kind of sit in one corner and do their own thing. It really depends on the purpose of the partnership mm. and what you're trying to achieve, that influences a little bit the archetype that will govern how you relate. However, what is important is when you want to do something like this and you assess yourself to say, listen, these are the elements of why I'm trying to do this. Am I going for the same customer segment? Do I have a culture that's really going to envelope this particular culture? Uh, and as such, does it make sense for it to be separate? You don't have to do a grid that says, if I'm here, then we bring it in. But if I'm here more so than often, then maybe it makes sense to keep it sort of separate. And that can help you be thoughtful about yeah. how you actually integrate, if you will, a partnership post um, whenever it is you get into that relationship with the entity. But it starts from your purpose. And I think a large or small corporate or startup, we all have to be clear on mm. why we want to partner, how you extract value from the partnership, yeah. uh, and as such, how you set it up for the success that's necessary. So back to intent and back to purpose, but Vuyo, you've got a lived experience of what Chika is describing. Absolutely. I think um, the the earlier examples and scenario that uh, Nimal spoke about around you optimizing your core, you defending, or you kind of trying to find new businesses, that's really important to know what problem you're trying to solve. Yeah. Because the answers to those, you could argue they all kind of may relate to some digital innovation of some sort, but the answers on how you're going to traverse each of those are not going to be the same. So if you're trying to kind of really get into a new segment and actually get into new products and all of those things, and there's nothing to liberate from the core, absolutely create separation. To the extent that you're trying to optimize your existing business and all of those things, that separation doesn't work yeah. because it has to integrate into the core one way or the other. So, so the ability to be able to say, actually, out of these three, which one am I doing and what is the right business and operating model for me to be able to succeed in each of these? And it is also right to argue, I think I said, that the culture is not going to change over time. Yeah, Our organization is 177 years old. So in there, there's quite a lot of real great heritage that we've had over years. But we created Next 176 specifically to think about where we could find new growth outside of the core. Yeah. But if you're trying to partner with startups and you're kind of trying to optimize your existing organization, you can't do that outside. You're going to do it inside. 
So you've got to tackle the organization head on for that. It's a beautiful way to lead us into a final question, which is actually the invitation I think Nimal invited us to think about early on. And my question is this, in a couple of seconds, what is the most exciting thing for you as you think about digital innovation in Africa right now? Gao, I'm going to start off with you and I'm going to work my way around the virtual table. What's exciting you right now? I guess biased to my experience in the space I'm in and uh, probably reflects Chica's business. Nimal mentioned it earlier, the advent of smartphones and digital internet access for more and more people, eventually it will be everyone, brings enormous opportunity and excitement with it. There are so many things that become possible once that sort of basic platform of access is built. Of course, data cost is an issue and there's ways many of us are trying to address that. But Bringing the African continent, a majority of people, mainstream population online is going to create opportunity for the next 50 years, I think. Sure. That's excellent. Daria, what makes you sit up upright when we're talking about digital innovation? Well, I think for me, it's just the number of great minds, great hearts, great hands joining the entrepreneurial journey. Mm. I think the fact that it's being validated at large as a as a viable path for many talented Africans is giving me confidence that we're onto something. We're onto something. Vuyo, what's exciting you right now? What's making you go, we're onto something? I think just the opportunity of being able to kind of bring these two walls that have always looked like they're far apart. When you look on the one side, on both sides, there's a lot to benefit from. And the opportunities that we're starting to see with some of the organizations starting to really think their business models fundamentally to be able to nurture these partnerships is really exciting for me. Sure. Chika, what's, uh, what's making you go, sure, this is the right place to be right now? In one word, impact. Mm. So we say everyone deserves the benefits of a modern connected life. And that modern connected life is best facilitated by technology related to what Imel and Gar mentioned earlier on. So what excites me is the potential to deliver distinctive impact on the continent, on the back of technology, a range of them, smartphones, etc. So I think that's it in mind. Sure. Distinctive impact, Nimal? Yeah, I love that point. I think in harnessing the strength of a startup, speed, agility, access to new technology, different thinking around business model, around pricing, then if we think about corporates, the ability to access distribution, a trusted brand, knowledge and insight on, on key industry verticals. If we bring those two worlds together, the ability to create what we as BCG called unfair competitive advantage, but actually what we mean is create a unique differentiated value proposition that solves some of Africa's most transformative problems. That for me is the opportunity. And it's built on the back of the amazing talent, insight and fortitude that we have across the continent. So, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation now is really just the starting point of what I think can create a multitude of impact across many different areas. Sure. Excellent. Uh, Gawa's uh, signaling to me. He wants to add to his uh, exciting proposition on the continent right now. It's. I mean, I heartily endorse and agree with all the comments that have been made. I just have a wanted to close, or from my point of view, with one perspective that I've realized uh, living and working in South Africa for the past four years. 
for most of my working life, I've been in other markets in UK, Australia, spent a lot of time in America. So coming, but I grew up in Zimbabwe, so I'm coming back home to my African heritage. And one of the most remarkable things I've seen in people and culture here is the level of entrepreneurialship that's intrinsic to how people live and operate here. Um, you know, as a simple example, there's a reference has often been made uh, in South Africa to everyone's got a hustle. And I think in Nigeria, they're, they're even on next level in terms of their ability to hustle because life is a challenge for a lot of people. And figuring out how you're going to earn an income today is, is the hustle. And there's an incredible level of agility, entrepreneurialism, innovation, make a plan, solve a problem that is intrinsic to culture here, which I've found ex extremely refreshing and exciting having spent so many years away. And I think that's a unique capacity of culture here that can be harnessed through digital technology, access, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm really excited about that. As a big picture perspective, I'm there's an energy here that I haven't seen anywhere else I've lived. There's an energy here like nowhere else that Gawa has lived. I think that's a beautiful way to close up this uh, conversation. Just a big thank you to Gawa, Dare, Vuyo, Chika, as well as Nimal. I'm Nozipo Shabalala. Until next time. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.